Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Today we're going to continue in our series. It's entitled, How to Live Without Losing Heart. Remembering that losing heart means to turn back to doing things our own way. And today is part three. We're going to talk about learning the basics. Learning the basics. All of us at some time or another, all of us, have lost heart. Everybody in this place, if you're a believer, you have at some point in your walk with the Lord Jesus, you have lost heart. You have stopped trusting God, and you've turned back. I've turned back. All of us have. We've turned back to doing things our own way. Prayerlessness, trying to achieve a ministry, forgetting our future hope by being overwhelmed by present circumstances, impatient in wanting immediate results, and a lack of discipline in the ordinary things of life have been familiar symptoms to all of us at some point or another in our Christian walk. Every one of us have overestimated or underestimated the power and the deceitfulness of our flesh. But the encouraging news is we don't have to live that way. I don't have to lose heart. I can walk a different way. Once we realize that in the new covenant, we're not demanded to perform in any way, shape, or form. Christ has come to live in us to do through us what we could never do. That's the good news of Christianity. Once we recognize that our adequacy, our sufficiency, is not in ourselves, but it's in Christ who lives in us. Once we see that Christ is changing us moment by moment, day by day, as we yield to His Word. He's changing us from glory to glory to glory. He's changing us into His image. Then what happens is victory is no longer me having to conquer my flesh. Victory is Jesus overcoming and conquering me. Under the new covenant, we can say along with the Apostle Paul, we reckon ourselves to be dead to fleshly sin and alive unto Christ. Now this is this truth of the new covenant, which was so foreign in, in Paul's mind. Paul came up under the old covenant, but now he's been saved. He's been made a minister of the new covenant. And what this has done for him, and we're seeing it in 2 Corinthians, is to make him so overwhelmingly grateful for the ministry God has given to him. In verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. We're not going to go back to what we used to do. We're not going to resort back to the flesh. You see, just like Paul had received his salvation, Paul also received his ministry. 
He was given the ministry of a preacher, an apostle, to the whole Gentile world to preach the message of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul knew that his ministry was undeserved. He knew that. He understood that. Of all men, he understood that. It was only by the grace and the mercy of God. And because of this, this caused him not only to be grateful for his ministry, but to be careful for the manner in which he went about his ministry. See, Paul was well aware of the false teachers that were just confusing and frustrating and infiltrating the church there at Corinth. And his ministry was so devoid of self that he says in verse 2 through 4, But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even, he says, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, see, the Apostle Paul was horrified at the thought of ever mixing any kind of fleshly agenda, anything to do with himself, with the precious truth of which he was to preach. He would never adulterate the Word of God. Matter of fact, his message was so clear, and this was part of the problem, they didn't have any doubt about what he was saying. It was so devoid of any self motive or agenda that when people heard it and didn't understand it, it wasn't because of the preacher. It was because of the unbelieving and hardened minds of the hearer. This framed a humble attitude for Paul. His, the humble attitude towards the message he preached was that he never preached himself. He only preached Christ. In verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 4, For we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Now, why was Paul, if you ask this question, why was Paul so adamant about his ministry and his message being devoid of any flesh, of anything of, of himself? Why was he so adamant about that? Why would he say, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord? Because you see, listen, and this is something we need to really focus in on. There is no other message to proclaim. He says in verse 6, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the glory, of, of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now listen to what he says. He says, For God who says, Light shall shine out of darkness. The word out of is the little word ek in the Greek language. And act means out from the midst of something. He says light's going to come right from the midst of the darkness. It's going to come right out of it. And this is the beautiful thing about salvation. Christ, the Son of God, always been the Son of God, came to this earth, was born of a virgin, became part of us. He, he gained his humanity through the nation of Israel. And it was such a beautiful thing that he became the God-man. And out from among us, light shone. And that's what God had said. Light will come right out of the midst of the darkness, signifying the fact that it would be right in the midst of us. And as a result, then, that light shone out of this world, he became that light. In John chapter 9, verse 5, he said, Jesus said, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. 
For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts. And that little word shown really grabbed me. It's the word lamppost. And lamppost is the word that means a lamp. Uh, I love this. God who promised the light became that light, but also is the one who turns on the light. The word light is the word photismos, which means to illuminate. It was God who illumined our hearts so that we could see his glory, which is in Christ. Now, all of us were living in spiritual darkness. I don't know if you remember what it was like to be lost. I think sometimes we've forgotten. And without hope, we had no hope in that darkness. We were blinded by the God of this world. We, we, we were perishing in our sin. We were living that way. But God turned on the light right in the midst of us, and that light was when he revealed himself in his Son, Jesus Christ. God in his power pierced the spiritual darkness of our hearts and turned on the light reveal the Lord Jesus to us. The message of the false teachers in contrast to what Paul preached. Filled with their fleshly agendas and done in their own strength could not in any way penetrate the spiritual darkness of those who were perishing. Now listen, it couldn't penetrate it then and it can't penetrate it today. Paul said earlier in our text that the God of this world, the devil himself, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. The word for unbelieving used 23 times in the New Testament, sometimes in a very harsh way, sometimes just to simply signify those who are without faith. It's the word apistos. Without, ah, the primitive ah means without, and then pistos, without faith. Those who are without faith and therefore undependable. Anyone that you know this morning that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ fits into that category. It's a person blinded by the God of this world. It's a person who is perishing in his sin. It's a person who walks in spiritual darkness. The unbelieving, trapped in that darkness, is without hope unless the message that Paul preached, the light of the glory of God, somehow can penetrate that spiritual darkness. I want you to think about the unbelieving living in darkness. You ever been in, in absolute darkness? <laughs> Some of us have. I'm such a romantic that when we got married... Our honeymoon was at Mammoth Cave, <laughs> Elizabethtown, Kentucky. <laughs> we only had two and a half days, but that's where we went. And, and you know, Diane and I decided to take the tour one afternoon, and we got on the, got on the little uh, tour bus and, and went over to the place. And we, we were real excited to find out that three busloads of first graders were also going to be taking that tour. <laughs> it really made for an interesting trip. And we went down into Mammoth Cave, and they take you down and down and down and down and down. And when they get to the very bottom of it, or as far as we could go, the, the guy who was leading the tour, the ranger, said, Now, I want to show you what real darkness is. What we call darkness is really not darkness. Now, I wasn't wondering, what is he going to do? And he made everybody, if you had a phone, put it in your pocket. Everything, any kind of light that could be down there had to be turned off. And I want to tell you something. I have never been in darkness like that. It hurt my eyes. It was so dark. And suddenly, and of course the kids began to get real nervous, and so he understood that you need to move this thing along. And so he took a little pin light, and he turned that little pin light on, and just that little bit of light in the midst of total darkness was such a relief to our eyes and really to our emotions as we stood there in that absolute darkness. Now you think about this for a second. 
People that you know that are not saved live in that kind of absolute spiritual darkness. They are perishing and there is no hope for them. They cannot see unless the light is turned on and Jesus Christ is, is revealed to their heart. God himself shines in a person's heart. You know, let me ask you a question. Do you think these spiritual shenanigans that's going on in churches calling, calling themselves Christianity can in any way pierce that light? You see, this is, this is where we've come so far from that which is normal. Uh, we, we see something that's normal now, we think it's abnormal. We don't even understand anymore what Christianity is all about. God himself must shine in a person's heart. He must reveal himself to be the Christ. No man comes to Jesus. Now, Jesus said this, except the Father draw him. Do we understand that this morning? Wayne, I thought it was the music. Or oh, Brother Wayne, I thought it was the casual atmosphere of the service. I thought it was the facilities. I thought you could get people. No, no man comes to Jesus except the Father draw him. And when Paul says, I don't preach myself, I only preach Christ, he was simply trying to show that only the message of Christ can pierce the spiritual darkness that people are living in day by day all around us. We work with them. We live across the street from them. And only Christ can turn that light on as to the good news of what he brings. Well, perhaps when Paul says he is the one who has shown in our hearts, maybe Paul is remembering that day on the Damascus Road. You, God not only turned the light on, <laughs> he blinded Paul for three days. Paul was not seeking after the Lord. God was seeking after him, and maybe he was remembering that. Maybe he's trying to say, I'm so overwhelmed by a message that has changed my life, I could never preach anything of myself. I have to only preach Christ. And all that, by the way, is recorded in Acts 9, if you ever want to study that. Not only did Christ come in this world to be the light to all men, but now Christ has come in the person of his spirit to live in Paul's heart, to be that light to shine through Paul. Paul would be the lamp now, and Jesus would be the light inside of the lamp. When you heard Paul preach, oh yeah, you heard a man. But at the same time, you heard more than a man. You heard a message. And in that message, it was all about Christ. Never about Paul, never about anybody else, just about Christ. And when he preached Christ, that message opened people's eyes that were living in darkness. And that message caused them to understand the good news that God had for them. No wonder he didn't lose heart. No wonder. He had been changed by the divine light of God's grace in Christ Jesus. Now, I know somebody is here this morning, and you're thinking to yourself, I want to be that lamp. Wayne, I want to be the lamp to where God, who is the light inside of me, can, can reveal himself through me. I want to be usable for God. I know I can, I can convince people about Christ, but I can't convict their hearts. I want Jesus to be Jesus in me. I want Jesus to do something through me that I know that I cannot do. Wayne, I've lost heart. I've turned back to my old ways, but I'm sick of it. I don't want to go that way anymore. I want to be the vessel that God can use. Well, that's our message today. How do we get to the place as lamps that the light can be turned on in us? How can we shine Jesus? How can that take place? That we sung it a while ago. How can that take place in our life? What are some things we're going to have to learn? And I call it learning the basics. Uh, somebody was telling me of a famous coach that sent all of his plays to everybody he was, he was going to play against, all of his opponents. 
And he said, now, if you want to beat me, you're going to, here's my plays right here. But I'm not going to beat you on the play itself. I'm going to beat you on the basics. Do you understand that a person, when he goes snow skiing and does it over several years, the biggest injuries are not to the beginners. The biggest injuries are to those who have done it for so long they have forgotten the basics and have come to doing stupid things. So we've got to go back to the basics. We've got to understand the basics. If we're just going to be the lamp and we're going to let Jesus shine through us, what is it we need to remember? What is it we need to grasp to make certain that we're going to be the person God wants us to be? What are three things I want to show you in verse 7 through 10 today? First of all, we must understand the frailty of our flesh. The frailty of our flesh. Look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Now, immediately, if you read that verse, your eyes drift toward two, 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 two things. One, earthen vessels. The other, the treasure. Now, before we look at the treasure, though, we've got to make sure we understand what he means by the fact that we're earthen vessels. The word earthen is the word ostrakinos. It's used to describe a clay pot. Used metaphorically, as it is here, it simply means and pictures human frailty, weakness. The word for vessel is the word skinos, and it's, and it's the word that means uh, something that's hollow. It, it's like a pot that is hollow, and you have to put things into it. Now, I want you to think about this this morning. I, I can't get it across. I'm just asking the Holy Spirit to get it out and get it to you. Unless we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, first of all, when we get saved, the Spirit comes to live in us. Unless we are living under His control and in His power, we are nothing more. Now, listen carefully. We are nothing more than empty clay pots. Do you realize how many believers don't believe that? And they still think they have something to offer to God other than their surrender to Him. The word for treasure is the word thesaros. Now, that's an interesting word because it means wealth that is true wealth. It's accumulated over time. A lot of these uh, people in computer business can tell you right away. They made money overnight, and they lost it overnight. But money that's true money, wealth that is true wealth, is wealth that is accumulated over a long period of time, and it's going to stay right where it is. And that's the idea of the word. Well, what's Paul talking about? Well, Paul knows that the message of Christ, that, that, that it, it, it was in God's mind before the foundations of the world. It's been around a long time. Nobody's going to take this away. The message of the glory and the grace of God in Christ Jesus is a treasure beyond description. But listen, if you follow the context, what is he talking about treasure? You're going to see that the gospel message is certainly a part of it. But the true treasure he's talking about is Christ himself. Now think about what we're saying. The treasure is Christ, the glory and the grace of God. Christ is the treasure that has come to live in empty clay pots. And that ought to overwhelm every one of us this morning. The psalmist said, oh God, what is man that you're mindful of him? Christ who is the love, Christ who is the life, Christ who is the light of God has come to live in us as clay pots. This treasure, the jewel of God, has been deposited in us as believers who are simply, again, empty clay 
pots. Now, Paul understands this. Most, most of us today still wrestle with it. Paul understood it. He's only a simple vessel capable of nothing, nothing more than the clay pot could ever do. Has no power in itself, but the power to deliver the message is, in, in, is tre the treasure that is within him. See, Paul has no power in himself. Apart from Christ, he was a frail, weak, pitiful pot of clay capable only of coming up with depraved, sinful agendas and fleshly goals when it comes to ministry. Why is this so difficult for us to understand in the 21st century? Have we been so successful that we have forgotten what salvation is, what the good news is, that Jesus did not come to renew my flesh. He came to replace it. I love Vance Havner. He's, he's in heaven. And I'm upset with him because I, I wanted to have him here. But he died on me. I could kill him. But Vance Havner had that little twang in his voice. Anybody know who I'm talking about when I say Vance Havner? Some of you do. Oh, I'd love to hear him preach. I'd listen to him on moody conferences they'd have. But old Vance Habner, he didn't think, he didn't talk like this. He never got a uh, driver's license. I think he lived to be almost 100 years old. He said, that's just a waste of time. That's a waste of time. But he made the statement. He said, you know what's wrong with people in our generation? By the way, this was in the 20th century. We're in the 21st century. And he made the statement. He says, we've lost. He said, you know what the, what the, the problem is with our generation? He said, we've lost the wonder of our salvation. And I'll tell you what, folks, if you're going to walk as a vessel God can use, God's going to have to rekindle that fire in your life and help you understand you're nothing but an empty clay pot. God's not impressed with your business skills. God's not impressed with your success in this world. God's only impressed when he looks at you and looks at me and sees himself. He is the life that has come to live in the clay pot. He is the treasure within the earthen vessels. Oh, what a treasure. He, is, he not only gives us the message, he is the message. He wants his life and light to shine through us so that those who live in spiritual darkness can see the treasure. People aren't interested in Wayne. People aren't interested in you. They're interested in the treasure that is within us. Again, verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Why? So that, that's a purpose clause, the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. Paul says the surpassing greatness of the power. The word surpassing is the word hyperbole. You see it up on the, on the screen. We get the word hyperbole from it. And what is that? It's, it's an extravagant exaggeration is what it is. Something that's pushed way beyond the normal. And in this context, it means something that's way above, the surpassing greatness of his power, something that is a far better way than any way that man could ever come up with, he, so that his power might be seen. The greatness of the power, the word for power is the word dunamis. Dunamis is the word that means the ability to do something. And what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church who were so enamored with men's ways and men's wisdom, he says, listen, God has come to live in us. We're nothing but empty clay pots. He's the treasure that has come to be within us so that we might learn to find our adequacy in him so that when we do anything, it always speaks of him and never of man, that the power, the surpassing greatness of the power may always be of God. That's the whole bottom line. The greatness of the power would be of God, not of ourselves. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels 
so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God. That will be is in the present tense. In other words, it never stops. It will always be of God. But it's in a subjunctive mood. You say, Wayne, that really excites me. Well, it should, because a subjunctive mood, mean, mood means iffy. It's kind of iffy. You see, there are times in Wayne's life, I don't know if you knew that or not, but there are times in Wayne's life I choose for the power to be of me. I choose to do it my own way. That's what it calls, lose heart. I've lost heart. I've gone back. The power's now of me. And he says, no, no, that's not the way it is, that it might always be of God and not of ourselves. Paul knows the basics. Paul knows this particular basic which starts the whole thing. You can never walk in the fullness of what God offers if there's too much of you. There's got to be less of us and more of him. It can't be both. No man can serve two masters. I can't do what the flesh wants at the same time doing what Christ wants in my life. Christ, the treasure of God, the jewel of God, has come to live in us in the person of his spirit. What we could not do in our own selves, only God can do through us. Paul had learned what a clay pot cannot do. So in verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. So if we're not going to lose heart, then we're going to have to understand the basics. We're going to have to understand what we're not apart from him. We're clay pots apart from the treasure that lives within us. All we can come up with is empty ideas and fleshly creativity that only entertain people and never sees them changed. That's why we have to let the light shine through our life. Well, the second thing we need to understand, it's one of the basics of this whole message, is that we must expect the fight of our life. Now, this is bittersweet, as you'll see, but we must learn to expect the fight of our life. You ever notice when you walk into a room, you don't turn off darkness, but you turn on the light? Do you, you, you realize the conflict between light and darkness? Darkness doesn't turn off light. Uh, light turns off darkness. And so light and darkness are going to conflict. And because we are earthly be people, we're, we're earthen vessels, we can, we can suffer, and we're going to suffer. There's a lot of pain that's involved. Paul knows the battle that ensues when the light of Christ's life shines through us into the spiritual darkness around us. And Paul also understands the vulnerability of the vessel. He understands how weak the vessel really is, but he also sees the power, the treasure that is inside of that vessel. We're just clay pots, but we're not alone. We have a treasure within us. He says in verse 8, we're afflicted in every way but not crushed. Now, on one side, we're going to put the, the, the vessel, the weak vessel, and what happens to it. On the other side, you want to see the treasure. So it is bittersweet. The, the bitter part is the pain we go through. The sweet part is what the treasure does to get us through the pain. And so he starts off and says, we're afflicted in every way. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. It appears from the context of 2 Corinthians that much of what we're about to mention today is related back to the church of Corinth and the pain that they have caused Paul. Let me explain. The word afflicted there is the word philebo. It means when somebody's so troubled, you ever been there? And because of people and how they treat you, and they're pressed in from every side, and because they're just an earthen vessel, because they're just a clay pot, the suffering begins to set in. It's a painful word. It's physically painful and it's emotionally painful. But now, look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5, and you'll see how it's attached right to the church of Corinth. 
Paul was afflicted by others, but particularly right here, he's talking about how the people at Corinth had treated him. I thought about this when we, I was studying. We all have our Corinths, don't we? Well, let's look over in 2 Corinthians 7, 5. He says, for even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. Now, what's he talking about? When he got to Macedonia, what's he talking about? Remember when God had opened the door for him at Troas and he got there and he couldn't find Titus? You see, Titus had taken that letter that we don't have. He keeps talking about it, but we don't have it. Timothy had come back and told Paul of what was going on in Corinth and how, how bad it was and how they were questioning the very apostleship of, of Paul. And, and it really hurt Paul. And Paul, instead of going like he had promised, he went back and he wrote them a letter. We don't have that letter. And Titus took that letter. Well, when Paul gets down to Troas to meet with Titus, he's so interested in how the people responded. He has the people of Corinth on his heart, and he wants to know how did they respond. Well, Titus wasn't there. And this so troubled him that he went, got on a boat and went over to Macedonia. And when he got there, he was worried about Titus, but he was also deeply concerned, pressed in, afflicted, it says. He was pressed in on every side. How are they going to handle this? And he was grieved over the behavior of people. And this brought about conflicts within, he said, and fears without. But the news that Titus brought was good. It says in verse 6, But God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. And so what I'm just trying to point is, so much of what Paul is talking about, so much of the pain that he went through was because of the church that he loved, the church at Corinth. They had caused him this affliction. And this is what happens when, when his message is just Christ. Here were people enamored with men and their wisdom, and here was a man only enamored with Christ, and the two began to clash. And this was what was bringing much of the grief into his life. Well, that's what vessels that are filled with the light of God can expect. And because we're only clay pot, pots, this is why we grow sometimes weary in the sense of, of uh, it overwhelms us. Well, the word, therefore, for perplexed is the word apareo. In other words, this affliction that came, much of it from the Corinthian church, brought him to a state of being perplexed. Apareo means to be hesitant. To get to a point you don't know which way to go, like a mugwump. It sits on a fence with his mug on one side and his wump on the other. He can't make up his mind which side to go to. Have you ever been perplexed? Has situations, because you're a clay vessel, because you're just an earthen vessel, has, has it ever come to the point that you've, you, you've been perplexed and you've been hesitant? You don't know what to do next. You don't know whether to turn right or whether to turn left. It's kind of like I get that every time dining and I go out and eat. <laughs> Where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? I know. Let's go over here. I don't want to go there. <laughs> I mean, so that state of being perplexed. And the next thing he mentions, he looked afflicted, and now we've got perplexed. And then the next thing he mentions in verse 9 is persecuted. He says persecuted but not forsaken. The word persecuted is the word the oko. It means to pursue with the intent to capture or kill, to be hunted like an animal. What can I expect if, if I come to realize I'm only a clay pot and I begin to let the treasure manifest his light through me? I can expect the fight of my life. I'm going to be hunted like an animal till somebody can capture and kill. They're trying to get rid of me. I love to deer hunt, whitetail particularly. I haven't learned yet how to do it out here. I did draw for a mule, mule deer tag, so maybe I'll find out. 
But in the South, some people, I don't like this kind of hunting, they'll hunt him with dogs. And you take a big old red bone hound, he can run a deer forever, almost to the point that it dies. And I won't shoot a doe. I know you're supposed to, but I don't. And we were on this particular hunt. I was with friends. They ran them with dogs. I, there was not much I could do. I didn't know that until I got there. And I began to hear something coming across the top of the ridge, way over. I was sitting on the edge of a creek. And I could just sound like World War III. Boom, 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 boom. And everybody was missing. And I could hear the dogs. And it's an interesting thing. I could see the deer. And if I was looking at that hillside, there were the dogs right here. Now, I don't know how far that was. But I just remember that, and here's that deer just running for all of us. I got into creek and started working its way up the creek. I'm sitting on the creek bank. I didn't know if it wasn't a buck. And I got my gun up, and sure enough, it wasn't. So I set it down. It was a doe. She had been run to death. And those dogs in the background baying at her. And she stopped, and she turned around just to see where they were. And she just reached down, and she was so thirsty, and drank some water out of that stream, and then bolted like lightning out of there. And those dogs finally came through, trailing her. You say, Wayne, why would you tell that? Because that is what the word persecution means. Good night, Wayne. You mean to tell me I start becoming a lamp? I realize I'm a clay pot. I let the treasure fill me. And I can expect to be hunted like an animal until the day you die. Because I want to tell you something, folks. People are not friendly to light when they walk in darkness. And if you haven't figured that out, how many Christians have come to me and said, I've gotten saved and I went home, nobody's saved, but they don't even treat me very nicely. Well, what did you expect? Light and darkness don't get along. Do you hear the dogs in the background? <laughs> oh, Wayne, be dignified, okay. The power of God working in Paul, the power of God, the light that was shining through Paul caused them to be on his trail. And matter of fact, he was martyred for the faith. He was put to death for his faith. And then he says again in verse 9, being struck down but not destroyed. Now, the word struck down, katabalo, is the word which literally means to be physically thrown down, but in a metaphorical way, in a figurative way. It has the idea of somebody trying to stop what he was doing, somebody trying to knock down what he was doing, kind of like when they put him in prison, and they thought that that would shut him up. Did that shut him up? Are you kidding? The church of Philippi praying for him, oh, God, he's in prison. Let him out of prison so he can teach the message. And Paul wrote back and said, would you quit praying that way? He said, my imprisonment, imprisonment has worked for the furtherance of the gospel. You see, he understood that they could put him down, but they couldn't, they couldn't put the message down. So like I said, this is a bittersweet truth. Since we are clay vessels, we're going to suffer. We're going to be, we're going to be distressed. We're going to be afflicted. We're going to come to the point of times of not knowing what to do. We're going to be perplexed. We're going to come to the point we understand we're being persecuted. People are going to try to knock down what we're doing. And he's just simply trying to say, you better learn this basic before you get started. But the sweet part, the sweet part. Oh, I love this. On one side, you got the vessel, weak clay pot. Boy, we're, we're pitiful, aren't we? But on this side, you have the treasure. And how the treasure enables the vessel to go through what it has to go through. He said, go back to verse 8. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. The word afflicted means to be pressed in on every side to the point you feel like you're going to explode. And that's what the word crushed would mean. In other words, you, you finally got pressed in and finally it just blew away. I mean, it just destroyed you. Well, that word crushed can't happen to us. Why? Because God's power working in us. 
Don't you under, don't you love this? Even, even in the midst of the most difficult things we go through as being a believer, being a lamp, letting the light shine through us, cannot crush us. But this affliction also caused him to be perplexed, but not to the point of despair. Now, it's interesting. The word despair means to be at a total loss of what to do. Now, you can be at a point of hesitation. You can be at a point of not knowing what to do next, but God will give you the wisdom when he's ready because he'll never let you get to the point of, of being at a total loss of what to do if you're walking and not have, have not lost heart. The light of Christ shining through him and through us, through Paul and through us, will cause persecution. But look what he says, but not forsaken. In other words, they, they, the God never left him nor forsook him. I, I love that. Even when I'm the most alone, I'm the most in his presence. He never leaves me. The psalmist says he's beneath me, he's above me, he's behind me, he's in front of me. The new covenant says he lives in me. And then it says in Colossians, I'm hidden in Christ who is in God. So I can be persecuted and will be. And because I'm a clay vessel, it's going to cause me affliction. It's going to bring me to the loss of a hesitation at times. But it's not going to overwhelm me. God never left him. God never forsook him when he was hunted like an animal. He told Timothy, even when he was alone there before he died, he said, Timothy, send me my books. Man, I'm bored. Bring me my coat. I'm cold. Timothy, come to see me. But in the midst of it, God, he said, God delivered me. And what does he mean by that? The word real may, God drew me to himself. I was never by myself. That's what Paul was saying. But then in verse 9, he also says, struck down, but not destroyed. And the word destroyed, apolumi, it means to be completely destroyed, completely destroyed, to perish. See, Paul knew that they could take his life, but they couldn't squelch the message that he was preaching. And we're even being blessed today in the 21st century by what he wrote back then, even though he's been long gone. God's continuing to use his life to bless us even today. So Paul understood some basics. I wonder if we understand them this morning. We understand the frailty of the flesh. Do you realize that you're just a clay pot apart from his power working in you? That he's the treasure? And have you learned to expect the fight of your life? Which is bittersweet, the vessel, the treasure. But then finally, we must display the furtherance of his sufferings. We must display the furtherance of his sufferings. Look at verse 10. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Now, what in the world is Paul talking about here? Didn't Jesus die once for all? Yes, that's correct. He died once for all. But he now lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And this is where Paul's headed. The world hates Jesus now. And if you haven't seen that, open your eyes and smell the roses. It's going on right before us as I speak. The world hates Jesus now as much as they hated him back then. And they're still seeking to kill him. They're still seeking to get rid of that light that's causing all the friction with people who want to live in the darkness. The problem is, you see, they're trying to kill him. But the downside is, the bummer is, he lives in us. So if they're trying to kill him, they're trying to kill us. Get rid of us. Have you ever noticed how Hollywood pictures Christians? Have you ever noticed that? They don't have a clue what a Christian is. 
And as a result of it, they keep doing it. And you can see it in the political arena. You know, we, we're celebrating our freedom of our country. I hate to tell you this morning, we do not have religious freedom in America. We have religious toleration, and the fuse is burning shorter and shorter and shorter. Why? Because the light is in us, and people that walk in darkness do not want that light. They'll embrace religion, but they'll never embrace a relationship. So he lives in us. They hated him. They're going to hate us. Jesus said that to his disciples. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Jesus is the good news of God. He is the light, the life, the treasure that lives in us. But the downside is light and darkness do not get along very well. The sufferings of Jesus continue on. Why? Because he lives in us. That's what Paul's saying. Always caring about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. And this is so important to understand this, that we participate in the sufferings of Christ. Now, Paul talked about this in chapter 1, verse 5. He's already given us the definition of it. He says, I'm suffering the sufferings of Christ. Why? Because of the light that's within him. And this is so important to recognize because sometimes we suffer. I'm telling you, folks, we suffer not because of, of him. We suffer because we initiated it ourselves. It's because of our big mouth that we ran when we shouldn't have run it. It's because of what we did when we shouldn't have done it. And we bring the persecution in on ourselves. But what he's talking about is make certain that when you suffer, it's not the suffering you brought on, but the suffering that was brought on by Christ lighting up your life and shining through your life. The word manifest means to be put on display. That the sufferings of Christ might be displayed, that put on display. That people, when they look at our suffering, they see who he is in us. That the life of Jesus might be manifested in our body. That's what it's all about. That, I, I've been preaching this for three years. I've never seen a book that's any more clear than 2 Corinthians. I'm nothing but a clay pot. That's all I am. Every morning I wake up, look in the mirror, I'm looking at a clay pot. Capable of what? Nothing. And you know what nothing means? In the Greek, it's a zero with the lid kicked off. I'm capable of nothing, of nothing. But the treasure has come to live in me. And the treasure is Christ himself who bears a message, who is the light inside the lamp, and he wants to shine through my life. But I've got to recognize that first truth. And once I recognize it and bow before him, I've got to see the bittersweet fruit, truth of the fact that it's going to be the fight of my life. It's going to be the fight of my life. But I want to make certain that when I suffer, my sufferings are because of the light that's shining through me, not because of me running my big mouth when I should have kept it shut. Because many times I bring on my own suffering, and so do you. And Paul says people want to see him, and they'll see him through the sufferings. They'll understand through the sufferings. Just like the whole Praetorian Guard in Philippi understood because of the sufferings of Paul, it was for the sake of Christ. And so those three basics have got to be laid down. Understand the frailty of our flesh, empty clay pots. Expect the fight of your life when you let the treasure manifest his light through you. And we must learn to display the furtherance of his sufferings because when people see us suffer for his sake, they see the message we've been trying to tell them all along. I don't know if you've ever read of Hannah Whitehall Smith. She's a, quite a lady several years back. 
She's written some devotional books, but one of, the, one of the beautiful little thoughts she had in a devotional book I saw this past week was really sweet. She said she had come to a place in her life that she was perplexed. It's exactly what Paul's talking. She didn't use those words, but that's what she's talking about. She said, I didn't know where to turn left, turn right. It was an overwhelming circumstance in my life. And she said, I fretted and I fretted trying to come up with an answer, trying to figure it out. And she said, I just kept hearing this verse, be still and know that I am God. And she said for the first time in her life, she'd read that verse many times, but she kept hearing it in her head as God was speaking it to in her heart. And she said, I just, I just sat down. I turned all, everything off around me. I just sat down and closed my eyes, and I just got as still as I could possibly get. And she said, in the stillness of that moment, I began to sense the presence of God, and I began to sense that only he had the wisdom to tell me what to do. And she said, I, I, he gave it to me, and she said, I have now come to the place to understand. The only strength I have, Paul would say it differently. Paul would say as a clay pot, the only strength you have is in being still. And when you're still, and there's no more effort on your part, that's when you begin to understand the wisdom and the power of the treasure that lives within us. So my question to you today is, are you, have you lost heart? Have you gone back to doing it your way? This is too complicated anyway. If you have, then you're of all men most miserable. But if you want to walk and not lose heart, you've got to understand the three basics that we talked about today. If you don't understand them, you'll never walk in the truth that God says is there. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.